Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25 which you'll find in the Old Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 713 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and stimulate our minds to receive the gift of your word. Amen. Isaiah 65, verse 17. I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred years will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Ellen, I want to thank you for sharing that very personal story about your son's experience with cancer. But I found it so encouraging, and I think all of us find it encouraging regarding the power of prayer. And it's not that we can manipulate and dictate what God must do, but it's that we have a God who will hear our prayers in those moments when life turns and things are dark. And so I just found your messaging, your message so encouraging uh, this, this morning. If you are able, if you would open again your Bibles to that passage we just read, It's from Isaiah 65, and I want you to think with me because it has everything to say to even the situation and the story that that Ellen just shared with us. Seventeen hundred years ago, there was a man from North Africa by the name of Augustine. He grew up in a, in a home with a mother who loved God, 
But when he left home, he didn't believe what his mother was teaching him was relevant for the world that he found himself in. And this young man decided that he was going to open his life up to every kind of pleasure and opportunity that life had to offer him. When I read the story of Augustine's life, I, I call him an Epicurean. In other words, he dove headfirst into the world of pleasure and sexual promiscuity, and that became the, the highest goal for his life. That's what being an Epicurean is today. It's all about pleasure. It's all about satisfying yourself. Isn't it written in the preamble that uh, we're created to find happiness? It's your right. But after a time, Augustine got sick of his life. His desire for lust, his desire to fulfill everything he wanted in his life, it just kept going down, and he got to a point where he came to the end of himself. And that's a good place to come to. And it was in reading the Bible that he discovered that he can lay aside that way of life and find ultimate joy and find ultimate purpose in Jesus Christ. But the story goes on. There was a bishop by the name of St. Ambrose, who was one of the greatest preachers of the early 5th century. And this bishop baptized this man, discipled him, and he gave him these instructions. He said, read the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Isaiah, because there you will understand the gospel, and there you will understand God's work in the world. And Augustine did. Daily attention to the reading of Scripture. And Scripture then began to give him a worldview. Scripture then began to help him to see life in a framework that helped him to know that God is ultimately in control and that God's plans for the world is sure. And you would think, once you get to that place, that it's smooth sailing, but no. Because in 410 AD, Rome, that magnificent center of learning and education and everything new, it fell at the hands of the Germans, the German Visigoths. And the pagans looked at the Christians and blamed them and says, it's your fault because you kept preaching that gospel, telling the people of Rome to forsake their gods and worship the one and only true God. And it's your fault. The gods are angry because we've abandoned the worship of the gods and they've allowed, they've lifted their protection from Rome and Rome has fallen. The Christians, on the other hand, reacted with stunned despair. And they believed that the fall of Rome signified the end of the world. Augustine, by this time, had become the Bishop of Milan. And he wrote this monumental, wrote a lot of things. The Confessions, I would encourage you to read his Confessions. 
But he wrote this monumental city of God where he critiqued both Christians and pagans. And in essence, what he did, he told them the tale of two cities, what he called the city of God, and the other city he called the city of the earth or the city of man. And he said these two cities, like wheat and tears, will grow together until a time comes when the judge of all the world will judge the world. He will separate the wheat from the tears. These two cities, Augustine says, they have two different, two different goals, two different ends. The city of man promotes the worship of God and it defames the worship of the self. The city of man, it defames the worship of the God of heaven and it promotes the love of the self and the satisfaction of the self. And when you read the book of Isaiah, especially when you read chapter 65, the whole chapter, you will discover that this world, this world, its past, its present, and its future, that it is all before God. Now, that is a <clears throat> comforting thing to believe, so that even when cancer enters our lives, when life takes a dip, we, we, we can still say that God is in control, the past, the present, and the future. And so I say to you this morning that Isaiah is an important book. I so love what Hannah did with our children. It's a question that we need to ask ourselves, what do we do with the Bible? And somebody in the crowd said, read it. Read it. Because when you read the Bible, it doesn't answer every question. Mysteries, mysteries abound. But when you read the Bible, one of the things you will walk away with is that God reigns over time, over the past, over the present, over the future. Read Isaiah. It's a big book. It's 66 chapters. You don't have to read it in one sitting. Take it in small bites. Because here's why. When you read the New Testament, you discover that so much of the New Testament quotes the book of Isaiah. Somebody counted it. I didn't, but somebody counted it and said 590 references throughout the New Testament. References about the book of Isaiah. About the book of, of, of Isaiah. I go to the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible and there I find the words of Isaiah about a new Jerusalem. Did you know this Jerusalem was mentioned? That Jerusalem will now be a delight to the Lord. God will find joy in Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, that God will dwell with his people. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. There'll be no more sickness, no more tears. God is wiping away tears, no more darkness, no more pain. All of that language you find in Revelation, you find it in the book of Isaiah, and then in the closing chapters, chapter 65, chapter 66, you read that and you begin to see what St. Augustine saw. You see the two cities. You see the two cities. A line is drawn in chapter 65, 1 through 16, where people are described as rejecting God. God is calling to them, and they say, we don't want to hear from you. And then when you get to chapters 
chapter 65, 17 through 25, you get a very different picture. And it's the picture of these exiles who were once turning away from God, but now they're turning to God. And God, through his infinite mercy, allows these people to come back to the land and things are not in ship shape. But God sends the prophet Isaiah to remind them, or the words of the prophet to remind them, of a future that is bold. It almost seems unreal. I heard it again this morning as, as it was being read. New heaven, new earth, buildings, vineyards, people working, people in fellowship with all of creation. You no longer hear the sound of weeping. You don't hear gunshots. You don't hear violence, no more war. People are building homes and they're inhabiting them. People are planting vineyards and they actually can enjoy what they plant. They're not building and planting and somebody comes and takes it from them. And they're working. But it's not this tiresome, frustrating, meaningless, underpaid, overpaid, sometimes exploitative labor. In the new heaven and in the new earth, this is my favorite part, children will be a blessing and not a curse. We don't have to worry about our kids. Nobody's going to molest them. Nobody's going to abuse them. Nobody's going to traumatize them in this new heaven and in this new earth. And then the prophet says in this new heaven and this new earth, there will be unfettered access to God. God will be so close to us that even before we're calling him, he says, did you ring? Were you trying to call me? Because, he, Lord, you're reading my mind. And even while you're speaking, Isaiah says, God is listening. And then even in the animal kingdom, in this new heaven and this new earth, the predatory instincts of the wolf and the lion, it's gone. The wolf and the lamb are coexisting. No more hunter and the hunted. New heavens and new earth. When I read it, and I've been reading this over and over for days and days now, I kept hearing in my mind, Ray, this is what Jesus wanted his disciples to see. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Every time we pray, and we're going to pray that here in a moment, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That in the new heaven and the new earth, the two become intertwined and heaven and earth are one. And all that was wrong with this earth, Isaiah says, we're not even going to remember it anymore. And when we die, and here's the good news, when we die, we do not become disembodied spirits floating around the sky, sitting on clouds, strumming harps. The vision that we see here is that we're going to be raised with new bodies living on a transformed earth. Last night, many of us gathered here in this space 
for the home going of Barbara Dobschutz. She was a longtime member of this church. What Isaiah 65 is saying to people like Barbara, what Isaiah 65 is saying to people from this congregation, we've lost a lot of wonderful, wonderful people in this church over these many years. What Isaiah is saying to families in different places who are grieving, people who have died in Christ, is that the resurrection of the body then will be the ultimate exclamation point. In Revelation 21, we do not see human beings being taken out of the world. They're not being whisked off into the sky. But rather, what we see in Revelation 21 is that heaven has come down to earth and we are going to live in this renewed earth with renewed bodies and it's just something that is almost hard to imagine. But it's all there. Sometimes when people hear these words, they say, Pastor Ray, I don't know what you've been smoking. Did you see the headlines today? Did you hear what's going on in Ukraine? You realize how many people were shot in, 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 in Chicago over the weekend? What you're saying sounds like a fairy tale. Yes, it's beautiful, it's poetic, it's whimsical. But, but, Pastor Ray, if you take these words and lay them alongside the Chicago Tribune, it makes these words sound like something from Disney World. It just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem to comport with the reality of where we live. And so I want to I wanna close this morning by leaving with you a choice that we all must make. Because some people, even some of you here right now, might be saying, this is just religious nonsense. It's this fantastical speech. And there are some people who believe that. They have nothing to do with God. The church, the message of the kingdom is totally relevant. They don't believe that there is some kind of divine meta plan for the world. What they believe in is self-determination. What they believe is that if only the human beings on the planet could come together, we could end all wars. We could eradicate all life-threatening diseases. We could create a just and equal world where it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, what language you speak, that you're going to find prosperity and happiness in this world, and you don't need this God thing. The future of the planet with its almost 8 billion people, it rests not with some pie-in-the-sky thing. It's right here on the earth. Karl Marx would say that. And he would say, that's really what you're doing. You are sedating these people, Reverend. Instead of getting them to look at what's going on, you're telling them to look into the sky. And some people make that choice. Another option that some people take, and maybe some of you here, you've taken that choice, is that you've taken the path of hopelessness. You, you believe that it's all meaningless. You believe that it's all about personal survival. Things will never get better. These politicians, they are hopelessly compromised. They make these, these, these huge promises so that they can entice us to elect them, and then they spend the rest of their time weaving this intricate web so that you could never get them out of power. 
It's hopeless. People are greedy. People are selfish. People will do anything they can to get ahead, even if it means destroying this earth. And so, look, I'm going to look out for myself. The only choice I have is to try to enjoy my life. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to spread some positivity. I'm going to try to pursue my own happiness because no one else will do it for me. And so when I die, then, hey, I, I, it, was a, it was a great run. And then the lights go out. And that's what some people do. And we could go on and on highlighting the options that are before us. But I would ask you to come back to what happened to Augustine. I would ask you to come back to what happened to people like Newton, John Newton. I would ask you to come back to the lives of people that we know throughout time that have been transformed by this biblical vision of the return and the reign of Jesus Christ. I would ask you to adopt a vision, a biblical vision that is rooted in Jesus Christ. And you've got a choice you've got to make. If Jesus is indeed the Son of God, then we must take his teaching seriously. When Jesus was here on the earth, when he walked into Nazareth. Do you remember whose words he had on his lips? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, to bring good news to the poor. He was quoting from Isaiah 61. I would ask you this morning to take seriously whether Jesus is really the Son of God. Did he really walk this earth? Did he really give his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the world? Did he really die? Some people say he didn't really die. He, he, he was unconscious and then he eventually woke up and just walked away and his followers made up this big story. You got to make up your mind this morning, who is Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? Did he really ascend to heaven? Is he really seated at the right hand of God? Is he, is, he, is he really telling us the truth when he says that I will come again? I would ask you to think seriously about the option, the biblical option. And so the big idea I want to leave with you this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. And this earth then matters. Jesus didn't get a spiritual body. He got a physical body. And when he's coming back, he's coming back to this earth. This earth matters to him. He's the creator and the sustainer of this earth. And when he comes back, he is going to put an end to the injustices and the violence and the sickness and everything that is going sideways, everything that is going in the wrong direction, Jesus, as the returning king, will set this world right. See, I believe that if you take away the resurrection, you have nothing. If you take away the reality of who Jesus is, you have nothing. 
And so I ask you this morning to embrace the biblical, the biblical vision of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it changes everything. And it changes you and it changes me. Now, here's one mistake I don't want you to make. I am not saying then that we're going to sit on our hands and say, Jesus, this one's on you. And when you're finished fixing everything, let us know so we can come in and party. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that because we believe in the resurrection, we are going to be people who lean into the darkness. We're going to bring the light to the darkness. We're going to be people of prayer, as we heard from our sister Ellen. We're going to be people who, who put on the robes of, of love and kindness and goodness and mercy. We're going to be people who, who, who walk with children and care for children. We're going to be people who care for the elderly, who are concerned about the homeless. We're going to be people who are going to make a difference in the world starting right now. Because here's what that says. It says then that the resurrection matters and the kingdom has already broken into the darkness. We're actually helping to set the stage for the coming of the Son of Man. And I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. I know some of us are very sick and you're saying, God, I've been serving you faithfully and is this how you repay me? I know some of us are frustrated. You've been, you've been working and serving and doing your best and, and it just feels like what you're doing is not enough. But the Lord says to us, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. What we do in this world right now matters. So don't check out. Don't become a cynic. Don't become one of those individuals where it's only about you and getting yours. If the resurrection, if the Jesus is truly who he is, then what you do in this world, it matters right now. And we are setting the stage for this new heaven and this new world that is coming. So be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. I am choosing the biblical option, and I'm choosing to order my life. I'm choosing to live in the framework of the city of God. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. I'm not going to cloister myself in some religious building. I'm going to be in the world, not off the world. I'm going to let my light shine so that people may see the good works and they glorify God. And then one day, he will come. And he will indeed separate the two cities. And I don't know what your view is on eternal punishment and damnation, but again, I would encourage you to read Scripture. Think about it. Think about it, because God is creating new heavens and, and a new earth, and there is no evil in that new world. There is no darkness in that new world. There is no exploitation in that world. And those who have lived that kind of life, those who have shut their ears to God and said, God, I don't want to hear from you, read the end of Isaiah 61, and you will see what happens to them. They're banished from that new world. So there's a lot going on in these scriptures that I want you to pay attention to. That God has put us here on this earth as believers to shine the light of Christ on the darkness all around us. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you, would you pray with me? Let us just pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning. There's so much more that is in the Word that we don't even have the time to lift up, but God, we do get the message. You're in control. You are creating. You, Lord, you created and you are creating new heavens and new earth. May that give hope to every one of us, those who are suffering, those who have lost loved ones. Give them that strong confidence that this is not the final word. Better days are coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.